Welcome to Nursing Your Career, a podcast that explores the different career paths in the field of nursing. Whether you're just starting out or looking to try something new, Nursing Your Career offers insight from the people who live it every single day. So you're here. I'm here. You're here. Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome. I love this place. Yeah, it's a good so nice. it's a good vibe, isn't it? Yeah. So relaxing. I know. So you, believe it or not, are on the first season of Nursing Your Career podcast. Hoot hoot. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited too. So we have here Anna, and she is a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Yep. And she has been kind enough to come on, tell her story, chit chat with us, and give us a good insight about what she does and, and why she does it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm a psychiatric NP. Uh, so my main role is prescribing medications to make people feel better, but I also add on therapy in between. That's not my main role. It's, it's prescribing, but yeah, that's what I do. So, but I work mostly outpatient. Currently. Okay. So you get referred, a patient is referred to you. Yes. And in combination, like with other resources they have, you like analyze a situation and basically make a plan with medication, sometimes therapy, for them to essentially lead a better life. Yeah. So we look at the whole story. So okay. from your childhood, whether you your mother was doing drugs, well, yeah. Well, she was pregnant with you. I'm not saying that's like the case for you or anything. Like <laughs> no, my mother did not do drugs when she was pregnant with me. At least I think so. I'm going to ask her about that later. Thank you. Um, or whether you were bullied, um, but all the way up until how it affects like your current lifestyle, your relationships, your work. Mm-hmm. And the best way is so that way you like live a better quality life. Yeah. So. Where did you get your start? Um. Oh, gosh. All the way back to my undergrad. So I wanted to do nursing way back when, Mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't afford it, and it just wasn't doable at the time. Okay. So I graduated in, I think, sociology, and then went back to school for, like, through an accelerated program, Mm -hmm. and um, I started off doing oncology, actually. Really? Yeah. It was a good—it was— it was hard at first. Like I bawled my eyes out every day for yeah. like a month. But then I, you know, I got um, like comfortable with it and I feel a lot better looking back at it, like having that medical background mm-hmm. piece into psychiatry. How long did you spend as an oncology nurse before you like made the transition over into like the psychiatric aspect of nursing? So I did oncology for about a year and a half and then I did a little bit of Travel nursing by like year two. Okay. And when I was doing travel nursing, that's when I went into psychiatry. Travel nursing is crazy. Yeah. It just get thrown out there. Mm-hmm. I just, but I loved it actually. Did I you met go, so many cool people. Did you go far for your first contract? No, I wish I had gone to Hawaii or something, but I okay. stayed kind of local. So I went, well, not super local. I went to Fall River. Okay. Yeah. Which is a, a little bit of a hike from Boston. Um, and I worked there and I did the psych unit for about, a few months and I absolutely loved it. I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. So so this was by by chance for you. You you took a travel assignment contract and they yeah. said, surprise, you're going to the psych unit at this place in Fall River. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cause I thought like when you did traveling, you got to like pick and choose. You do. I mean, so I could have chosen between oncology again or I could have done med surge. And I did, but I actually fell into psychiatry because there was a huge demand and need for it there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was doing med surge and then I got into psychiatry that way. So 
So they're like, we need help over here. And everybody was scared and nervous to do it. And uh-huh. I'm like, I'll give it a go. And it was just doing a report was the best thing. Yeah. So, so instead of doing, you know, Mr. Petunia is a, a, a 58-year-old male uh, and has all these tubes and whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, it was more like, did the patient nap last night? Uh All all of which are like super important things. Like, and I I think kind of like somebody from an outside of the psychiatric world would be like, what are you talking about? Did the patient nap? Did they eat that? Who cares? But like knowing a bit more about it, you find out actually how like simple tasks like that or things that people equate as simple are like so important when you're trying to care for somebody like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like sleep is like, of course, sleep is everything. That must have been a hell of a first day, though. Like, talk, dude, can you talk about your first day, like having no psych experience and then getting just thrown onto a unit in Fall River? That's got to be nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I felt like a lot of, so there's psych in every field. So when I was in oncology, I was meeting patients who were either manic or schizoaffective. So there was a bit of psych even in oncology, but getting thrown into it on the psych unit was was definitely different. Yeah. Yeah. And they were they were older, so um there weren't any IV lines attached to them. Okay. So it was more just focusing on their needs or um I have a background in in uh Haitian. I'm some half Haitian, half Salvadorian. And so I spoke Creole to some of my my patients also. So they were saying like these nurses are out to kill me and I said translate. No, 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 no. Like you're fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. But and would that help? Like when they heard somebody speaking Creole, like they're like, okay, we're good. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> that, that's good. Um, so you spend some time on the psych unit. You kind of learn the ropes. Yeah. And then when did you, like, how long did you spend on psychiatric units? Did you go to another unit with a travel contract or like, did you seek out a, a like a, a steady job with that or, or what happened from there? No, once, once I, uh, once I did that role, I was like, I have to, I have to do, do this. This is my career. This okay. Is, this is what's meant for me. And I did do psych for like an orientation in my undergrad. So not orientation, but like it was one of my clinicals. Mm-hmm. And it was a great experience. I worked with kids, adults, adolescents, the whole nine yards. And it I loved working with the adults, but it was it was difficult with some of the rotations with the, with the kids. And yeah. I was like, this is not this is not for me. Okay. But then I went back into it as, you know. An yeah. Older adult. And, and when, like, when did you figure out, like, for adults, right? Yeah. Like, when did you say that, like, this is it? This is my calling. I have found, like, the love of my profession here. Like, this, this is for me. Um, it wasn't like an aha moment. It was just that I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times, I felt like I was doing a lot of busy work. Mm. In my other role, and I was talking to my patients more. I was connecting with them, and coming from my background, also, I I had like, you know, similar. I could I could empathize with them a lot more and their struggles. So mm-hmm. that was what did it for me. Yeah, yeah. And do you see like you're like okay, I had like some stuff, and now I get to help other people who have some stuff too, like yeah. stuff like this. Okay, that's a big motivator. I find. I think like definitely. I've had patients in the past where it's like I kind of like see events like from their perspective because like I know what this is like. And so like I call those my special people. You know what I mean? Like it's every like every nurse has a few of them where they're like that's my special guy or that's my special girl just because like you feel that like super strong connection with them. And it's like where you're just like, oh, they're my peoples. I love them. You know? Yeah. Mm. So you went back. 
Where'd you where'd you do your NP at? Um, I did it through Regis. And like, how long was that program? Um, so it was marketed as about oh, I think it was about two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that program was about two years. God, it was such a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I was so miserable. <laughs> like, I remember being in a parking lot during my quizzes. Uh, because on, on vacation, uh, because I just had to, there was always an assignment to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, two years, two years. So mm-hmm. it was like total, I think finally my, my, my fifth year now doing nursing really. Mm-hmm. So, and then five, you with NP, like, so, so talk us through the process of becoming an MP just okay. for, for people who don't know, like how does one, like you have some experience, you get some perspective in the, in the real world and you say, all right. I need to do a bit more. I got to be a, a nurse practitioner now. So like how how does that process go? Okay. So when you get your nursing degree, of course, and then you do at least, um, maybe it depends on the program, maybe two years, maybe three years doing your NP program. So okay. you can specialize in in a family, in adult geriatric, in peds, um, women's health, and then I chose psychiatric. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the the role is mostly, I thought it was going to be kind of like in the movies where you're, you know, sitting down on a chair and you're helping someone walk through their lives. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, you send out a script and you're on this, you know, beautiful lounge chair. Um, but it wasn't like <laughs> Star wipe to the real world. Like let's, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so instead, uh, it was on, I was at, uh, South Coast Behavioral. Not sure if you're familiar with that. Like I, I, I have heard of South Coast Behavioral. Yes, yes. I have. And yep. um, that I was inpatient and that was a whole different experience. So we had, um, yes, yeah, so I worked with, with kids and adults. I was on a dual diagnosis unit. So okay. a lot of patients who were, you know, on drugs, but also trying, really trying to get help. And it was hard to, because they're back and forth between looking for housing and then falling in the wrong crowd, and then trying to get back. Um, so being in the unit was actually safer for them than being out right. with other people. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so my first role uh, as an outpatient with a psych NP, it was just like, all right, so are you, how are your symptoms? How are you doing? And at the end of like maybe five or 10 minutes, it's like, okay, great. Good to see you. And mm. Bye. And I was like, what? What are we? What are we doing? Yeah, you As, thought like it, ca- it can't be this fast. Like you, ca- <laughs> you can't open somebody's box and like unpack everything and and do it this fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I'm learning that it. You can also depending on where you are and where you work, you can spend more time talking mm-hmm. to your patients, learning their background. But a lot of it's just focused on their symptoms, their the side effects, of medications. Um, and yeah, of course, you want to connect with your patients and you mm-hmm. want to build rapport. So. Um, I do. And that's my main rule is like, I really want to get to know who you are instead of just being a robot, writing a script and saying, see you in three months. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have like a, uh, a set of patients that you see, or do you get new referrals all the time? Or like, do you have like a, a limit to your practice essentially? No. So I get new referrals every week. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. I think with COVID also, a lot of people, it really unraveled a lot of traumas um, and put a lot of stress on people. And so we're seeing a lot more people getting help now than ever before. COVID, like, changed the game. Yeah. It fucked us up. Yes, it, it, it did. <laughs> like, I hear stories all the time where, like, people that I know, people that my parents know, people that, like, my colleagues know, 
And it's like the same theme. It's, I need some help and I can't find anybody. Everybody I've called has told me like, it's going to be nine months before you can even be seen. I know it hurts to like, hear that. It's so sad. I know. How, like, how do you deal with the influx of people? Like, how, how are we going to do this? <laughs> yeah. I, I really don't, I wish, I wish there were more, so psychi- psychi- psychiatric NPs can do both. We can do therapy. Mm-hmm. Our main role is men management, but we can do therapy. So oftentimes I will act as that bridge until someone can find a therapist. Because in between seeing people, so, you know, usually I, I have maybe about a half an hour block with a patient. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have enough time to really talk about like their, what's going on in their current life, I really will try and make an effort to block it out for an hour and talk to them. Wow. So because there's not a lot of therapists out there. Or if there are, there's there's a huge wait list for them. They're book solid. Yeah. So for speaking med management, so you'll work with somebody who's a licensed counselor or somebody who's a psychologist or somebody who's a licensed mental health care worker. And you'll say, okay, I have this patient. I've started them on this medication for X, Y, and Z cause, and they need follow-up talk therapy. And you yes. work with people like this all the time. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also will reach out to therapists in between that I, you know, I, I really want to make sure that we're reaching the same goals for our, our patient. And mm-hmm. so if there isn't a therapist in-house at the clinic that I'm working at, I will reach out to a therapist outside of the clinic and see if we can get them, you know, the right help. Right. Um. So yeah, there's, I, I really want our our team to be supportive of the patient. So it's not just me individually. It's maybe sometimes a case manager or a social worker and a therapist or um, the primary care is also involved, give or take on their background. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a team effort. Inpatient, you'll see that you're always supported. Like the whole team is there. So you have the nurse, you have uh, the case manager, you have the NP or psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty it's a pretty big team. So patient. outpatient NPs kind of stand more alone. Yeah, in, in for their the task. most part, yes. So you have to be a bit more independent and a bit more autonomous, and a bit more willing to go the extra mile. It seems definitely. Yeah, you got to yeah. do some digging. You do. Yes, you do. That's that's crazy though. Like you you think that, accor- like according to the the Department of Labor and, and statistics, nursing itself from 2020 to 2030 was was supposed to grow 11%. That's what the projection was, like one of the most fast-growing careers in the United States. Within that subsector, psychiatric nurse practitioner uh, is expected to grow 55% by the wow. year 2030. Yeah. So I don't know what people are talking about, like there's not a mental health problem. Like clearly people <laughs> need some help because if we have like this much demand for it, Clearly, there's always going to be a job out there for you should you want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like for us to go from doing date night Zoom calls to, you know, eating out again, it's that's a huge transition. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit of a traumatic event in itself. So you definitely need support. And did did people, people had to have been using more. Drugs, absolutely. Drugs, Drugs and alcohol. alcohol, marijuana. I don't know. Smoking a lot I don't know more. a single person that I've talked to. They're like, "Oh yeah, my drinking skyrocketed during the <laughs> pandemic." Yeah. Like ever, like no judgment, but everybody that I knew were like, "What else was there to do? We were all scared, and we all were just looking for some way to cope." Man, like, so 
when you work with people who have a dual diagnosis, let's say one of them being substance abuse and then one of them being a diagnosis you find in in the handbook, like bipolar yeah. disorder. Is there a is there a disconnect, do you think, between like people who have like a singular diagnosis and people who have a dual diagnosis in their management? I don't ever think that substance use is just uh something by itself. I think there is something else going on there. Okay. So there's usually trauma behind the substance use, there's depression, there's anxiety. Um, and I find that a lot more, especially with, again, with COVID, a lot more of my patients are coming and saying, yes, mm -hmm. I was completely fine. Or maybe there were things that I was building up for so long and I used alcohol to self-soothe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's legal to drink. It's legal to get marijuana in the state. Um, so why not? Mm -hmm. But then it becomes problematic when that's the only thing that you use. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, nobody wakes up like one morning and just says, you know what? I think I'm going to use heroin today. Yeah. Like there, there's like a, a series of like psychological traumatic events that that lead up to this action. Yes, absolutely. And that's so funny. You mentioned earlier like inpatient, the environment is what you need it to be. Um, I was I was listening to this book and it's called Irresistible. And like there's a whole section on this book. It's about addiction. Okay, that's it's, not what I was thinking. It was of. <laughs> it's it's about addiction, like whether it be technology or drug use or but then they talked about like behavioral addictions too. Um and a study they did was would people use just for the sake of using if they weren't in the environment that they used in? And the answer was staggeringly no, like shockingly no. So they did this thing where it was like Vietnam veterans who were using heroin in Vietnam. And they were like, why is this drug use like dropping off so rapidly when they came back to the United States? Like statistically, drug use, you aim for a metric of like dropping 3% or dropping 5% over the period of a year. But it dropped like in the in way more than it should have. And they did a study on it and found that it's because of the environment. Like you take somebody out of that environment where the temptation exists and they tend to do a lot better. Um, so like, what do you, what do you do if you know somebody's going to be inpatient, but they're going outpatient and you know, like, you know, you have to know they're going right back to that world. It happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, I do feel, I do have a lot of clients who are really trying to break through, who are trying to get housing. Um, maybe they got into, um, a bad legal case before in the past and that's prohibited them from ever securing housing. So it's just you know, relying on other people, relying on support, and they might not have that. So mm -hmm. um, I remember, especially, you know, on, on Mass Ave, we did a clinical there, and I will never forget all the the girls that I met who would become sex workers because their parents were using drugs and couldn't provide food, so. This is just to survive. Just to survive, yeah. So would use drugs to kind of self-soothe and mm -hmm. go back. Um, like where, oh, yeah. where do you start with that? Which problem do you attack first? <laughs> well, one is is like the um, Maslow's uh, pyramid and making sure that they have housing, mm -hmm. being safe. That's so number physical one. Physical safety. Physical safety is okay. number one. If we don't have that, it's hard to put the rest of the pieces together. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes we're not given that. And sometimes people are in bad situations and they don't have good support networks. So you have to start from from just medication, something to help 
heal them um, and their trauma, even just for a little bit, mm. until they can get through that period, if that's it's possible. It, may, it might not be within a few days or a few weeks or a few months. It might take a, a year or so, mm -hmm. but it's just at least trying. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think, like, where would you like to see mental health go in this in this country? I'm I'm actually really happy that we're talking about it more uh -huh. because I'm seeing more people come and get help from all age groups. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel like our world is healing a little bit because mm -hmm. I, I truly feel that America is dying of loneliness and people aren't reaching out to their family or their friends or even just getting help for themselves because they don't know how. Mm -hmm. Um so I would like to see people feel feel better in some way. Mm -hmm. And making it doesn't have to be that you're making millions of dollars and living in a mansion. Making it could just be that you're in a better relationship with your friends or with your partner. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you have an apartment. Maybe you finally got a mattress. You moved out of your family's home because they were toxic. So that's that's a huge step, I think. Mm -hmm. So hopefully just... Doing better in some way. Mm -hmm. Where does where does like the outreach happen? Like if you had to pick in in your career, right? How to like I'm gonna make a difference, and I'm gonna. Where does the outreach happen? Like where where do we start? Where do we start? Um, I think going to communities where there's a stigma around mental health. Mm -hmm. So um, coming from my background, I was actually I went to therapy when I was. It was a teenager, and I will never forget it because my mom is my mom's Haitian, and she was like, that, I mean, I don't think she'd ever get therapy for herself. Mm -hmm. um, but she was she encouraged that, and that's a huge like um, event, and especially in, in our culture. So, I think just attacking different um, communities where it's not so well talked about mm -hmm. and being open to it, yeah, um, would be a good step. Yeah, I yeah. found I found like at least like in my ER days, there were certain communities where it's like mental health just wasn't, it, it didn't exist. Yeah. It wasn't talked about. Um, there had to be a physical illness as to why this was happening. There had to be a physical illness as to why this person was hallucinating or didn't feel safe. And, you know, you're doing your best to explain like, no, 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 he's physically healthy or they're physically healthy. The problem is in their mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know, I'm not saying like they're crazy, you know, I tried. I tried not to use that word, because um, I just felt it was like really judgy and it would push more people away than it brought to me. Um, but it was really frustrating sometimes when like people just wouldn't believe me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure you see the, like the same as like like doing what you do every day. Like some people just aren't having it. Yeah, in inpatient we had um, we had a group of members from the church come over and try to exercise. Uh, a quote unquote demon from a patient who what? has schizophrenia. So that whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> back, back up, back up. So, like, the church, like, caravan style shows up, yes. Yeah, so, members of the church, okay, um, of this this client, yes, decided to, um, oh my god, hours to, to exercise the demons out of our, our patient, and this was allowed. Um, back then. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. I'm not sure how that would play now with COVID. But. How many people did that set off on your unit? Like, um, Because it is uh, a cultural approach. We can't attack it, but mm -hmm. um, we accepted it and we allowed them to perform their, their prayers. 
That must have been a sight to see. Yes. Did it, it was. work? No, but the no, medications did. Okay. Yes. Did they take credit for the medications? Absolutely. Okay. There yes. you go. So you kind of <laughs> had to like sit in the scene and be like, that was me who did that. <laughs> yes. It yeah. wasn't you. It was me. <laughs> My hard work. Yeah. That's insane. I don't know if I'd be able to stay on the unit and watch that. It was, I think it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. I, I would like be constantly reminding myself like, everybody's got their own view. Everybody's got their own view. Everybody's got their own view. But I need to walk away because my view is I, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely talk about it in our in our community, especially our ones that don't often think about. I mean, mm-hmm. you're from your background. Do you guys discuss that at all? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like, no, no, we do not. Okay. Um, and it's it's a, it's frustrating sometimes because I get phone calls from like members of my family once in a while and like you know this person like has an issue and like when i say issue it, it's not even like what i consider to be a major thing like i i read the statistics online in in this country one in 3 people are going to be diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder in their lifetime at some point in in if there's four people in this room right now one of 1.3.3 of us is going to have to ask for help at some point and then like there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that but you know if if to me it's just that easy i don't i have a hard time understanding why it's so hard for other people you know and i think that can be a big barrier to care um because i have to remind myself sometimes like wait a second you got to you have to see it from their point of view otherwise we're not going to get anywhere in this relationship um and they don't have to concede. I do. Like the it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Like that's what I have to do. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. See, I'm I'm cool and yeah, current. You have the insight. I'm cool and current stuff. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So would you would you go back to inpatient ever? You think or no? I don't mind it actually. I like I liked inpatient. Yeah. I I like outpatient for the um the hours and kind of being more independent. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, I did like inpatient. Okay. Yeah. I like the group that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And did you find it was like the same people often or just uh, like new faces every day? There are new faces, but there are a lot of people that come back. Gotcha. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that whole like they go right back to the that environment. And unfortunately, it's just. Yeah. It's not, not working for them, unfortunately. No. Yeah. But I, I think that. Um, I think that mental illness goes beyond like on all reaches. And I think that a lot of people believe that you have to be, you know, drinking on the streets in order to be considered like an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. You can be a functional alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I've met functional alcoholic teachers Mm -hmm. um, or mothers and are still being great teachers to their students, being great mothers to their kids. Mm -hmm. But there is an ongoing issue there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Does it wear on you? Depends on the day. Yeah, I think yeah. oncology definitely prepared me a little bit for the hardships of of seeing patients and what they go through. Yeah. Um, there are days where I think of patients and I wonder how they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I have to clock out. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's if it if it wears on you, which it which it does, it wears on everybody. It does. Like, what do you do? What's what's like? Anna's way of like detaching for a minute and Bob's Burgers comedy. Nice. Yes. <laughs> nice. Me, I think it was Star Trek. 
Star Trek? Definitely. Like, you you have to have something. I know. I really have to start watching that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you, like, uh, if you... I try to tell this to, like, the young people all the time. Like, if you had to tell a young person, like, give them any advice on how to pace themselves in this in this profession, particularly in the world of style, like, like what would your advice be for that person? Get help. Get help. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that, is it, it's that stressful? No, no. I think just getting uh, help is, I think that uh, being in my role, I, I, I am, I am independent for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I do have a great support staff that will, I can reach out to if I need um, assistance with getting records out right. or um, completing med uh, PAs for me, but just to get help from other people mm-hmm. um, can be super isolating if you're on the computer. So yeah, uh, I, you, with Psych, you can do an NPs anyway. You can do remote and you can also do um, in person. And I do a little bit of both. Oh, okay. You, so, see, you see people online? Yeah, I see people online and uh, in person. Nice. Yeah. Online's great for people who can't drive, okay. um, who have like a lot of medical conditions. Like mm-hmm. I have patients with like uh, very severe MS or uh, maybe cancer in some cases. So, mm-hmm. or or just super far away from any sort of outpatient clinic. So mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to reach out to them that way. Yeah. What about people who like it's hard to get a handle? Like it's hard to reach them. And you like you know what I'm talking about. Like somebody yeah. goes away for three weeks and they're on either like a bender or they're in a manic state for three weeks. Like you just got to wait it out. You have to wait it out. You have to give people a chance and just be patient with them. And it's like, it's not like if you have a dentist appointment and you have to be there at one o'clock. Mm-hmm. And if you're not there in a certain amount of time, they won't see you. It's like it doesn't work that way. We know that you have shit going on internally and externally so we're very flexible with you know if you have to miss an appointment or if we don't hear from you we want to make sure that we don't hear from you for you know too long because then like get super concerned and wonder right. where you are um but we are pretty flexible mm-hmm. with that and you have to be yeah do you think like stigma has anything to do with that like they don't want to come and get help or i i think so um and I think a lot of people are taught to toughen it out, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and not show emotion or not or not even pr- like acknowledge that there's an issue going on internally. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, is that mostly girls or guys who have that problem? Mm, guys, guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I knew what you were gonna say it. I was like, go ahead, say it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Why? I, I you have to answer that question for me. No, I'm like from the inside perspective. I want I want to hear it like from the from the the professional here who has to like unpack it. Like, what happened? Guys want to like let things go. I think they just don't want to. They don't want to internalize it. Mm-hmm. They want to just keep going back to watching tv show anime football game and you know hang out with their friends not talk about you know that they got hit by a car yesterday it's just kind of like mm-hmm. this was out in the background i feel like we don't talk about it enough yeah. and that's and so when we talk during sessions we're like oh yeah like i got into a fender bender a few days ago and uh yeah my girlfriend broke up with me and it's mm. like well these are huge events why didn't you say anything it's like well it wasn't a big deal yeah oh i'm like okay <laughs> kind of is uh-huh yeah that's crazy like so they're there they're with you 
They're at yeah. an appointment for this specifically. Yeah. And they they don't want to talk about it. I tell all my patients, don't feel like you have to entertain me. Like, be upfront with me. Right. This is only going to help if it's a team effort. So, no mm. bullshit. Yeah. Just be yourself. Because you don't have a lot of time. Like, you... You what'd you say? You have a half an hour, like yeah. For if it's someone that I'm seeing for like a follow up, but usually for in you know initial, it's about an hour, maybe mm. an hour and a half sometimes. Yeah, but even still, like that's not a lot of time. It's not to to build a rapport with somebody and get to a point where they're willing to share like their their feelings. Yeah, I think that people also have trust issues. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like the mental health profession, for some reason, um, so I I have a client who's like, I don't want to open up. And I'm like, but I'm not here to hurt you. I'm only here to help you. Mm-hmm. So I'm the first person you can up, open up to, if uh, rather than a I'm a stranger. So I'm un, I'm unbiased, right? So I kind of hope that helps them to talk mm-hmm. a bit more. Yeah. Do you find that it, like a good report? If you like, if you don't have it. If there's no good rapport, it's not possible. Okay, you're not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah. I, I've had patients, like, yell at me um, mm-hmm. or get upset that I didn't give them Adderall. So I, um, yeah. you know, if if I tell them if I'm not for you, it's okay. There's there's somebody else that might be able to better fit your needs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's got to be frustrating, though. It is. It is. Because I, I really do want to help people, and then when we go into these talks about like medications it's not you know uh i i know online there's so much information out there um so a patient will come to me and say well i've had you know i've had you know i've I've had no family history of any mental illness and then talk about later on like oh yeah but my my mother was abusing heroin for a little bit and um kind of just skip over it like mm-hmm. it was no big deal and then talk about well I, I have ADHD though and then you know kind of an Adderall script and it's like well let's let's rewind a little bit let's go yeah. back to the let's go back to the heroin yeah uh, what happened there yeah and yeah. They, they just yeah they don't want to talk about it yeah so is that mo- like is that most people is that most people are no. just looking for like a quick fix pill like no um yes I guess yes and no so okay. there are people who've have been through therapy or meds before. So they kind of are a bit more open. Like they're in a different stage of their mental health mm-hmm. to work on other things. Um, but a lot of people are looking for, yeah, a quick fix. And not in a bad way. Okay. Um, I think a lot of our society is around, you know, going fast food restaurants, getting things on demand, um, you know, scheduling a service and expecting someone gets there at like 2 p.m. But mental health you're unraveling a lot of traumas um small or big and it takes time rome was not built in a day mm-hmm. so we have to work on things individually i'll be the first to say like if i go on amazon and i order a package that's supposed to be here by 2 p.m <laughs> and i click 10:45 in the morning i'm upset i'm like but this is america i want it now like you're not here. It's 2.35 and I still don't have my AirPods. Hurry up. Um, yeah, so I can definitely see that how, how that would spill over. Yeah. Um, but that that's crazy. I just, I cannot believe, I really, I really have trouble believing that people can be, you know, will seek the help and then be that closed off. Yeah, I, it, it depends. It depends on like what their, 
what they're looking for and also just building trust with that person. I hate going into an interview and being robotic and saying, you know, did you have head trauma? Did you have seizure history? Mm-hmm. You know, are you on, on birth control? Like all those generic questions. Because mm-hmm. um, it falls, it feels like you're not really interested in the person, mm-hmm. like as a person. It, it just sounds kind of robotic. So I'm I'm trying as I talk to the patient to kind of share a little bit about, about myself mm-hmm. um, and hope that they open up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I find that like especially dealing with people who had been through like traumas like that and like who have you know essentially they're in like constant survival mode, right? Yeah. And one thing I told people when they were like what's it like dealing with somebody who's just coming off the street or who's coming to the ER or comes by ambulance and needs like this and that and I'll say I'll tell you what I've noticed like almost immediately that person's bullshit detector is on point. Yes. Like these 100%. people have had to be in survival mode for so long that they will like figure you out in a matter of a minute and they'll usually be right. It's it's just they've had to use that so much in order to get through day to day that that is a sharpened skill. So I figured out pretty quickly that like if you go in with a judgy attitude you might as well have just built a brick wall. Like nothing, nothing is going to happen. You will get nothing done today. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I mean, I, we all have like our tricks. So like you said, you might tell something about you like, or to let, let the wall down. Or I found that like, it was usually a simple, let's take like an overdose, for example. Okay. As, hey man, I'm really glad you're alive. I don't know you, but I'm happy you're alive. And then we could kind of like work on that therapeutic relationship. Full disclosure, I've also had really bad days as a nurse where I'm just like not, I'm not feeling it. And try as I may not to let that show. Yeah, they see through that in about 30 seconds. And they're like, I'm done with you. I want to leave. And then I feel like so bad because I had the opportunity to extend the olive branch and like I didn't do it. Yeah, that's um, so when you have someone who's coming in for the first time and hasn't ever asked for help for medications through through therapy and, you know, it's five in the afternoon and you're tired mm-hmm. <laughs> and you want to be, you know, your best self, but you also need caffeine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're also annoyed that your dog is barking in the background um, and you want to be your best self for that patient. It's okay to say, like, I'm really sorry. Let's try this again. It's okay mm-hmm. to take that accountability, acknowledge your mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, How many people do you see in a day, like on average? Depends on the day. So and I, in an ideal world, I would like to see like five or six people because um, it gives us more time to break in between and not feel rushed. Um but I'd say now currently it could vary from like 12, 15 people by trying wow. to make sure it doesn't go over yeah. that amount. That's a lot of people to see in, in what, an eight-hour time period? In eight-hour, yeah, time period, sometimes 10. Air, air quotes eight hours yeah. like, <laughs> until the job is done essentially. Yes. Wow. But I still love, I still love what I do though. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to uh, – 
to Tyrone one. I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And I still wouldn't trade it. Well, it takes in the world. I feel like it takes a special person to do it. I mean, who who else can, you know, expose themselves to people's negative feelings and traumas and fears and anxieties and you know, still have a smiling face at the end of the day, you know, um, it's, it's important, you know, I mean, if you didn't love it, you wouldn't do it. Right. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, it had to have, I mean, let's go back to the beginning. Did you have that spark when you were an oncology nurse? I did have a very positive, upbeat attitude, but I, you know, when you're a new nurse, you, you got your figs. You get your new stethoscope yep. and you're you're ready to take on the world mm-hmm. until someone throws apple juice at you. Um, not in every case, of course. Not yeah. all my patients did that. But yeah. what's, what's the weirdest thing you've ever Apple's had thrown you. at you? Um, was it a bag of blood um, no. that I just laid out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some carry shit going on there. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, I was sitting up there IV and... Uh, yeah, they weren't happy with, with just being there. So that was one thing. But yeah, that wasn't too bad. I thought I had it bad taking a urinal to the <laughs> chest. Like, no, I'll take that over a bag of blood any day. Are you kidding me? Man. Yeah. I know. You could write a book. I could. I could. Do you ever think about that? Like, my life as a psychiatric NP, here's what's up. I think that we, we could all write a book, though. Every nurse could write a book about some experience. I could we definitely could all collaborate. Yeah. I could definitely write a book about about the. ED. It'd be like chicken soup for the nurse's soul. For the nurse, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're like having a bad day, just read this bad boy. We'll cheer you up real quick because <laughs> apparently somebody got a bag of blood to the chest, like, and she's having a worse day than you. Someone shit on you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Don't wear new. Good. Don't wear new shoes. Oh my, don't wear white shoes. Don't wear, oh my gosh. Yeah, we make them wear white shoes, our nursing students. I know. Like, <laughs> what a horrible, horrible, horrible mm-hmm. idea. So who do you see, who do you want to see come in to your, to your area? Like if you had to say, all right, we're looking for some people to pursue this aspect of nursing. What are you guys looking for? What do you want to see? As far as a nurse, as far as far as like a, a nursing student or a brand new nurse who says, you know what, I'm really interested in psychiatric care. Show me the ropes. What's up? Okay, I want to say I, I think everyone should at least try it. To be honest, uh-huh. I think that people often think of psych and think of like the Silence of the Lambs or something like that, mm-hmm. and they get deterred or they watch too many not Netflix documentaries. And that's mm-hmm. not. That's not what psych is, not okay. entirely. So just just try it. Just try it first before you shoot it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hear about that too, like with nursing students, like they'll dread their psych clinicals. Yeah. You know? And, and I'm sure you see, like with your nursing students, people who you were like, you know what, you would be really great at this. Absolutely. Yeah. I try, I try to... Um, recruit a lot of people to the psych field whenever i have a chance Uh yes um i have a friend actually who's doing the program right now and she's uh going for her fnp i believe and i'm like just just shadow me for a day just Mm -hmm. just see it You'll, you'll love it when you did your um nurse practitioner who did you who did you shadow with um their name 
No, no, no. Just like what they do. You shadow with an MP. Oh, I shadow with an MP. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so a variety. I did inpatient, outpatient. Okay. Um, they had like at least seven years of experience. Okay. Yeah. They and so, seasoned. And so when the, when you shadowed with them, was it different than you thought it was going to be? Yeah. Um, they were the most zen people. Okay. That I've ever met. Like, yeah. And, and not to say that, you know, that they didn't smoke a little bit of marijuana, you know, in between not shifts, but like <laughs> after. After their job okay. was done for the day, um, but yeah, they were very—they're very thorough, very like, um, very relaxed for the most part. Okay, I've—it's odd to say that I the psych NPs are the most chill NPs I've ever met, for the most part. What did you expect though? Like just somebody I thought, who was like, like strung type out, a, yeah, like gonna just boss people around but they're they're super relaxed super open um wherever i go whether it's for a dinner conference or for a meeting it's like NPs are so willing just to answer your questions to help you out it's a really mm. supportive group yeah it's definitely it's definitely a field that like you said you you think of like these people and how they're going to act and how they're going to be and i got to tell you like it's imagine trying to like solve a problem, but it's not a physical problem. It's a problem of the mind. Yeah. You can't, you can't quantify it because it's all subjective. You can't see it on any, on any scan. Rarely, like you can do a blood test to see if like you're treating it adequately with some medications, but like you can't put somebody into a lab and say, I'm going to draw your schizophrenia levels right now. Yeah. Um, it just brings a whole new set of challenges to that game. I think that people are scared of, or, or they think that psych is going to be something they have to be scared of. Mm. So they're scared that the patients are going to hurt them or that they're um, going to be too stressed out or overwhelmed at the end of the day, uh, mm. leaving a psych unit because they're on guard for their, their lives or something. And mm. it's not like that. And I just want to make sure that people are aware that it's, it's a whole different field. Mm. But, um, yeah, you have you have good staff members and people get sick, but then you give them the right help, whether it's medications or therapy, and they get better. Mm -hmm. So, and they are back out at work functioning as a nurse or as professor, a lawyer. Or, yeah. How many people would you say? I go to the I go to the supermarket at, yes. at like peak supermarket time, and how many people? Would you say like that that person's been treated for an anxiety disorder? That person is is a being treated for bipolar disorder. That like like how prevalent are these things? Very high. Like if I could guess, like if we were in a room with ten people, probably seven. Really? Out of ten? Yeah. People wow. people are. We used to. I used to work at a clinic where they would purposely put the um, clinic in the back of so far away from the street view because patients were nervous that someone would see them okay. go and get medications or go get help mm -hmm. um, because they didn't want Sally around the street or Sarah knowing that they were suffering from postpartum or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, I think, in the grocery store. Yeah, I, it's it's a total, like, and people have this image still, like you said, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Or like the patient who's in a straight jacket, like rocking back and forth in a, in a padded room. Yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't use those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was 
uh, this teddy bear for Valentine's Day like years ago where it was a, a teddy bear in a straight jacket and it said like, I'm crazy for you. And it got taken off the shelves very quickly because of the stigma that still carries with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that teddy bear is now on eBay for like $400. I like Googled it the other day. <laughs> I, was just, I was just looking through. I was like, what happened to that? Um, but it was just a, yeah, it's just, it's just stigma. We do have to sedate people sometimes, but that's across the board, whether you're doing psych or med surge mm-hmm. or peds. Mm-hmm. And it, how often does that happen? Would you like not as often as people think, or as often as people think that you have to escalate it to that level in a psychiatric setting? Well, when you're in inpatient, you're the people are usually coming in because they're suicidal okay. or they're they're manic or psychotic, but usually no. Okay. Yeah. So inpatient, they're like an active crisis. Yeah. In in inpatient, they're an active crisis. Okay. When they're going in, but once they're on the unit, it's been a few days. There are sometimes people who are on the unit for 30 days. So mm-hmm. it really varies, but not all the time. You're not like giving someone an I am of Ativan every time that they go go through the ED doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're 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 correct. Yeah. And then when it has to happen. You like, get you have backup. So walk me through a situation where it has to happen. Um, so inpatient or outpatient? Inpatient. Inpatient? Yeah, we'll keep, like, inpatient unit where, like, something is wrong, seriously wrong, and this person, for safety's sake, has to be sedated. Okay. So they're punching the wall. Um, so we had a patient who was, like, marked, had, like, bruises all against their their knuckles because they were, like, trying to to hurt themselves and trying Mm. to to fight the wall and then Mm. try to fight us. So that'd be a a reason. Okay. And like, what's the process of that? So you have like your backup, you have your team. Yeah. You have someone to restrain the patient. So it's a group effort. Mm -hmm. And then how does like, that has to be traumatizing for everybody. Uh, Like patient, staff. Yeah. How do you rebuild? What's next? Like, so you, they're sedated. They've they've been calm for a while. How do you re, how like what's next? What's the next step? The next step is when they're inpatient and you're doing rounds and talking to them through about they they won't acknowledge sometimes what happened. Okay. They won't acknowledge that they were fighting the walls or or fighting us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just hey, you're here for a reason. Let's go from there. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is just being upfront. It's being honest. So there's no sugarcoating in the psych field. Okay. Like, so were e- you feeling suicidal yesterday? You were punching the wall yesterday. Okay. FYI. And that is that like a for a therapeutic purpose, like just explaining that behavior, trying to make somebody like come back to reality of the situation that like, yes, this happened. Yes. Okay. So that's part of like the therapeutic process itself, not just to be mean. Yeah, no. Like there's no like not like a scolding. Yeah. Like you no. were punching the wall, so there. Like no, no. Okay. And I we see it a lot on the unit where after something happens or there were names being thrown at you, like you're kind. Um, <laughs> that you can't just, feel good. <laughs> the, but the next day, like after a day or two, you're just like. You're sitting down, you know, eating with them or, you know, watching the, sh- the, the show with them or journaling with them or doing group therapy or something. Yeah. You're, you guys are friends again. That's got to take a special person, though, from like the, like from your 
point of view and the staff point of view to endure that the day before and then the next day say, hey, man, do you want to have some chicken tenders with me? (laughs) You want to just sit down and talk about the game? Okay. (laughs) Like, I I would have a hard time sharing a hamburger with somebody who did that to me, like, the day before. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think that you'd kind of, I wouldn't compare this to toddlers completely, but you, you have you have kids, and mm-hmm. um, when they're screaming at you, they don't care what they say to you. Yeah, yeah. And they're throwing still, their hot dogs. You just gotta sit there and take it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, oh, and then they're like, oh, I love you. And they give you a hug, mm-hmm. and things are fine again. And it's you know it's different with like you know your patient, but yeah. You just you just forgive and let go, and there, don't take things personally. Also, yeah. is there anything that like really ticks you off? Um, yeah, there. I mean, there are times when I I do get like, oh, why would you say that? We work so hard together, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just have to let it go. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. But like, what like what's your thing? Like, so like you know how the joke is like everybody in nursing has a thing. Yeah. Like whether it's vomit or whether it's wounds or whether it's urine. Like, what's your thing? Like where you're just like, nope, 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 not today. Oh, if someone's, I mean, if someone's screaming at me, uh-huh. you know, either I, you know, if it's inpatient, it's different. But if it's outpatient, I say, you know, this isn't therapeutic. We're not getting anywhere. Give me a call back when you're feeling better. Mm-hmm. And I hang up. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever felt unsafe at all? I have. And how do I approach that? Well, what what's the situation where you're because you seem like a pretty tough NP. <laughs> yes. Um like what's what what is it that like It's not my teddy bear. Face. I feel like I look so it's, harmless. No, it's just like what what a like what situation where you're like, no, I'm not doing this right now. This is this is this is not right. When safety wise? Yeah. Well, if anyone threatens me, that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. Does that happen? It has, yeah. Okay. I've I've had people scream at me and say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna burn your house down." Um, I'm like, "Well, all right. Well, that's the end of this yeah. conversation." Right. And you just like politely ex- say, "No, we're done. Thank you." When you're up for this, we'll try again. No, at that point, I just let them go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If someone threatens you, like, and threatens your life, it's mm. it's no different than someone threatening you. Yeah. Inpatient, outpatient. Well, not inpatient. Off the streets. Yeah. You know, Even yeah. as a professional, like if that goes down, like do you have the right to to drop them as a patient to yeah, say, like, I, I will not see you anymore? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And do they have like, I mean, you can't just abandon that person completely. Do they have like systems for that? Like people who are who tend to be more violent? Um, if someone threatens your life, we don't see you anymore. Okay. That's the end of the the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's plenty of protocols in there to keep people safe in that yeah. environment. Yeah. If someone's screaming at me and yelling at me and 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 saying that I'm a bitch or I'm an asshole, then you know we we make things work. But okay. if it's if they're threatening my life, then no, we don't carry on the conversation yeah. any further. Do you think that's like? Do you think it's a problem now? Because I know some nurses who will try to work through that, just because they feel like. It's still on them in that situation. And me personally, I'm with you. I say, like, if you are threatening to me, we're done. You know, I don't, I'm, I haven't any, like, any other job. I don't, like, I don't let the dude at McDonald's get threatened and I'm not going to get threatened. You know, when somebody like threatens you, that, that's it. You're done. 
Yeah. Okay. If, if they if they're calling me names, you know, we mm-hmm. can make it work. Right. Um, but if they're threatening my life, then no, I because that's that's a boundary for me. Mm-hmm. So um, you talk if if it's even if you're even able to talk to them. Mm-hmm. If they're screaming at you and you know and you're not able to get a word in, then yeah. you say this is the end of it and I'm discharging you. Yeah. You can't make threats. So. That's fair. Yeah. How do, like, when the people are brand new. Yes. They have difficulty doing that. When people are, oh, yeah. Like, I'm talking new nurses, like, you know, who think that even after an event like that, that it's going to be their license if they let that person go. And that's just not the case. No. Not at all. Absolutely not. Um, so do you like try to you try to teach that to the newbies like there are clear boundaries here absolutely yeah, yeah. that's like, a part of self-care yeah that's like so important how important is that now I think it's like tremendously important now definitely I mean people I, I don't know how often this happens to you but um people will try and I was at Target the other day and someone, I, we were waiting in this long line, and someone decided just to like jump in front of me. And they were obviously, obviously high, and definitely have been on, thank you, some, some drugs mm-hmm. for that time being. And um, they, uh, yeah, they just, I, I, I had to jump in front of them and say, "Hey, I I, I was here. Mm-hmm. It's a long line. You have to get to you have to get to the back." And they looked at me and were like, "You fucking bitch!" <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, "What? What the hell? We're at Target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, clearly a line here. I don't know if it's just because uh, I'm short or whatever the case may be, but they just yeah, like mm-hmm. they they were." Trying to impose their their authority on me, uh-huh. and um, you just you can't let that can't let that happen. Yeah. You have to put that boundary up mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, no, I was here." Yeah, if I it happens right. in the real world, if if you can't let it happen in the real world, you can't let it happen in in your practice. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, that's they get so scared about that. I feel so bad. Yeah, I think they seem to feel that they've somehow failed in that situation. And I mean, I've, I've never like the, these new nurses that I think they get a bad rap. I know. I, I think, I think they do. I think people like come at this generation and they're like, you're lazy. You don't want to work. You don't need to do anything or you don't want to do anything. And they're like, no, I want to work really hard. Like I probably want to work the hardest in a lot of generations that have come before me. Um, but I'm dealing with a lot here. I'm coming into this field. There's a housing crisis. COVID just happened. I have like $150,000 in student loans. Climate change. Climate, yeah. And I'm and I'm pretty nervous that I'm going to lose my job if 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 I take the wrong step here. Um, I've seen that so often, and I feel so bad. Where they don't know to put up that boundary, and so I like I was a victim of that. I didn't know to put up that boundary and I got burnt out so quick, like quicker than, than most nurses should, um, in, in the emergency department. And I think like psychiatric care was a big component of the ED and I did not know how to deal 
with that constant need to give myself over so much to these people. And I didn't know how to set that boundary. Who teaches that? Like who, who, who teaches that? No one really does actually. Okay. So like, why doesn't psych teach that to the, the people who are coming in saying, this is a really stressful environment and you need to learn how to take care of yourself. Like, why doesn't that happen? That's true. I, I think for a lot of new nurses also, there's not that confidence that you feel about yourself. You're, mm. you're, you're still learning the ropes, so you're not sure of yourself. And then when you make mistakes, it almost feels like it's an attack at mm. your ego and your self-esteem. Um, and that you're just told just to kind of grin and bear it a lot before in the past. And But now we're learning that, hey, you can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe, you know, the cigarettes you know, outside <laughs> aren't going to help you either. Has, have you noticed it change in psychiatric care? Like not only like different modalities to take care of patients, but also staff. Yes. What has changed? What are they, what are they doing? That's, that's a big topic of ours. Actually, we just discussed that this past week, um, is just remembering to, to take care of ourselves, whether it's reaching out to a friend, you know, making even just like contact with, your staff members or um, some of your coworkers, someone that you can talk to mm-hmm. and just say, today sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that's what it's all about. Like if you have like somebody who like shares the struggle and you're like, this was horrible, man. And they're yeah. like, I know. And you know that they understand. And it validates your emotions too. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one. Um this he's not a, an NP, but he he was an MD actually, and he was a psychiatrist, uh, a person I knew. And this guy just broke down one day, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, "I am forced to take people's feelings, chew them up, and regurgitate them back to them, so that they may digest them like an infant bird." <laughs> and I was so like, good. "Oh man, like that's <sighs> fucked up." <laughs> How messed up is that? That's pretty that's pretty messed up. Like if you don't know anything about like psychiatric care or even care in general, that's pretty messed up. You have to care about people uh-huh. to work in this field, yeah. Yeah. But at what point like people need to realize too that if you go down, you're not taking care of anybody. You have to come first. If I go down, nobody gets help. If you go down, nobody gets help. Um, so people assume it's selfishness. It's not, right? It's not, no. no. I actually used to give myself self-talks before going into work. Mm-hmm. Before like the start of any shift. I, yeah. I had like my little recorder uh-huh. uh, on my phone. <laughs> I would just sit in the parking lot and just be like, you got this today. You got this. Uh-huh. Don't let anyone uh, defeat defeat you. Go in there. Give it your all. And then if we get stressed out, we can cry about it tomorrow. Um, but yeah, just kind of encouraging myself before the shift. Mm-hmm. And then I would put on Biggie walking to, to the unit. Respect. <laughs> 
Do you do you take it home with you? You think? I used to. Okay. I used to a lot, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be just like me crying in a in a in a corner of my bedroom. It would be me being kind of irritable, like oh, like he asked me to to pick up my laundry. How dare he? <laughs> just like, but that's a reasonable ask. But I would just get so so annoyed by it or I just didn't want to talk to anyone and I have a puppy and I was like he was a he's lovable and he he's so close like attached to me um and I love him dearly but yeah I just wanted like just just like an hour to myself just Mm -hmm. to to breathe a little bit yeah before I I faced the world Mm -hmm. um so yeah there's there's days where I've taken it with me and I have to be like okay don't do this. Right. You know. When did it start to to change? Like how far along were you in your career? Um I used to do this thing with my friend. We called it Turn Up Tuesdays. Okay. So we would do like night shifts and like you know, weekends. So we would do 12 hour shifts. So you don't have weekends sometimes. Mm. Uh depending on what unit you're in or what your practice is. So I realized that I was kind of isolating myself and I just, I remember she was like, we never go out anymore. So we would go uh, down to Boston at like eight or nine o'clock at night and just go to a bar again, you know, using alcohol as a way to cope. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or we would go to the movies. Uh We watched Toy Story one time. Um, So we just like did different things on Uh Tuesdays and, and just relax that way. Yeah. And that was a big help just to like blow off steam. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Remember to live life. Mm-hmm. It's not all work. Yeah. It's not. that. Like as a, when I was new, I thought like it was all about work. Like I lived it, breathed it, enthralled myself in it, defined myself by it. Like defined my whole being by it. And then as time went on, like... I said, okay, I can still be really good, but work ends. Like I can be good between the hours of 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And I can be good between the hours of 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. And then not take this home with me. Yeah. Um, Or find something that if I felt like you, like turn up Tuesdays. (laughs) Like if I thought I was going to take it home, like go do something. Sometimes we'd be like going to play video games with my boys. Yeah. You'd, oh. be, you'd be surprised how far Halo can take you sometimes and you've had a bad day. Uh, one of my students told me the other day that she's, she has two kids. And so she will purposely park in the corner of her garage and make sure that the garage door is closed so the kids don't know that she's home and just chill out and sit in the car so her kids <laughs> mm-hmm. so her kids won't bother her. Yeah. So, yeah, just taking a moment to yourself in some way. I can tell you firsthand, having small children, it's like the little things. Like that walk... From when you open your car door and go around to get your kid out of the car seat by yourself, that's bliss. (laughs) (laughs) You just take like three seconds. You're like, this is amazing. (laughs) The sun's out. They're inside. I'm outside. Nothing bad's going to happen. He's restrained in a car seat. (laughs) And then it starts up all over again. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Oh my god. But yeah, I used to I used to define it like totally of my whole being. 
And I was even, and I don't know if this is external pressure or the stigma of it today, but I was ashamed to admit that that wasn't me. Which, looking back on it now, I said, you're an idiot. But when I was there, I was embarrassed to say, I can't handle doing this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm supposed to save everybody. There wasn't a situation that I approached that I didn't think that I could win. Yeah. I remember we talked about this. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I, I remember I actually got taught the opposite where um, there were times when it was burning me out and my partner then was saying, you can't save everyone. You can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I didn't, I, that's, I mean, I, I chose nursing cause I didn't want to save, I didn't want to save people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to be a hero mm-hmm. in some way. And, um, when my patient passed away, um, on the oncology unit, I realized that you, you can't always, you can always do that. You can alleviate suffering and try and help people in, in some fashion. Um, but yeah, you can't see the real one. Mm-hmm. What's the like the most percentage of what you see on a daily basis? Like what's anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder? It's always depression and anxiety. Really? Even if you have bipolar disorder, PTSD, I mean, that's an underlying part of it, but mm-hmm. um, everyone's, everyone's depressed in some way. And everybody, everyone, even if they're not aware that they're depressed, they're like, Oh, yeah, like life is grand and I have everything that I want, but still doesn't feel like enough. Mm-hmm. That is a part of their depression or their anxiety. People say a lot also that they go online and they diagnose themselves with ADHD, mm-hmm. um, or TikTok is also presenting these new, um, different. DSM things that we haven't discussed before, but um, the big part of it is still poor concentration, like being forgetful. Mm -hmm. And yes, that is a part of ADHD, but it's also a form of depression. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of more and more like every day. That's the majority of people that I see. Mm -hmm. So it's depression and substance use, depression and bipolar disorder, depression and... right. You know, adjustment like, disorder. Like we talked about this, like at the beginning, like so. It's it's obviously happening more. Yeah. People are people are coming out, like whether it be COVID or, you know, more trauma from like the plethora of information that's out there for us. Do you think it's actually worse now, or do you think people are just finally coming forward now? Mm. Is is this generation truly more anxious than the generations that came before? So. I have been reading a lot. And so I want us to think of it this way. So you're also inheriting. So me, I'm inherit. I've already inherited my grandmother's trauma. Okay. So before I was even born, and maybe TMI for some people, but I was born, before I was born, I had ovaries when I was developing in the womb. And mm. that was already being created way before before I was even out. So that's mm. 
that's my mom my mom's doing and so when i have a baby um or if i do we'll see um (laughs) my child will inherit my mother's trauma okay so i think that it's I think that, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like inherit inherit their trauma, like their experiences when they're, or you're talking like genetically and biologically, they're going to inherit something of this. Yes. Okay. Yes. So if like grandma had like was an anxious person or had depression, that that comes down is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. So before before we're even like aware of ourselves, we're out in the world, we're carrying some baggage. Yes. Okay. So. What what does that what does that mean in terms of like the what you were what we were talking about earlier, like who's more anxious and who's not or where's it coming from? I think everyone has been, even generations beforehand. Okay. But how they manifested it was was just don't don't acknowledge it. And so you, now we are. So you think you think it's always been there. It's always been there. But this generation is just brave enough to come forward and do something about it. Yes. I agree. I totally agree. I think that the older generations that came before us, a huge tough it out mentality, a huge, you pick yourself up. I don't want to hear about it. Um, and now the people who are coming forward now, these young adults are being incredibly brave and saying, you know what? Like I need some help. I want to, I want to be better and I need some help doing that. It's, it's awesome. So there's depression in everything. Whether it's like you said, depression, anxiety, depression, bipolar, and the, does the depression always come first? Do you think? Um, I can't give a full answer on that actually, because I I think that we normalize even small traumas. Okay. Like like what's a small trauma we normalize? Uh, driving by and seeing a car flipped over. You know, like we all like kind of stop when we're in traffic to look if someone's been been injured and and maybe it has and the news was like the news is horrendous to uh-huh. expose yourselves to everyday uh traumatic events or stressful events i should say mm-hmm. um maybe uh it's hearing that someone died in a school shooting um or a, a co-worker passed away mm-hmm. so we're exposed to traumas every mm-hmm. every day and we're really exposed now yeah like it used to be like oh you saw this in an obituary or you heard it through a friend of a friend now you get it through about nine different feeds on your phone with pictures with validations of other people like it's it's insane how quickly news spreads now yeah yeah so they got to deal with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah or that you can yeah but even like documentaries or true crime series mm-hmm. you know hearing about how someone was horrifically slain or, or something mm-hmm. um yeah we're we're exposed to those in everyday forms or just you know even watching reality tv and, and seeing people do horrible things to each other mm-hmm. even just emotionally so and um, do you do you see an increase in your visits or, or an increase in, in the complaints of your patients, the needs of your patients, if there's like a big event that happens, like you said, God forbid, there's a, a huge car wreck on the freeway and like 50 people die or every day there's a, like the, a new mass shooting that they have to like when they're watching the news, like do, does that correlate to them having to see you more? I, yeah, it's, I think 
I think a, a part of it, yes. But I, with my role, I don't see the same people all the time as, as much as I would like to. Okay. So sometimes it's like months in between. Mm-hmm. And then within those three months, I'm seeing like a lot's happened. Yeah. They broke up with their their boyfriend or they're going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, their kid passed away. So it, it depends. Yeah. Um, did I answer your question? Like when you, when there's an event like that that happens on TV, do you get more people who need to be referred to you? Like, does the population need more help when something an event like this happens? It was like, yeah, okay. I, I think so. Absolutely. Okay. Like, there was recently um, an event that happened where uh, a mother had postpartum psychosis. Yeah, every, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows about this event. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't not know about this event. Yeah, but I was seeing a, a more like outreach from from moms saying, "Hey, even if they had no history, mm-hmm. um, just say like, I, I think I want to." you know, talk more about, about therapy or or medications. Mm -hmm. So yes. Yeah. It's like, and do do you think that like people who who are dealing with these things every day, like they're, they're like, cause I mean, you know, people can go through different stages of mental health all the time. Somebody who has a, a diagnosis of bipolar disorder can go from like normal functioning person all the way into needing like inpatient therapy at any given time. Yes. Um, so when an event like that happens, is it more is it more prone to put them into crisis? Yes, with an external trauma like that. Okay. Yeah, and sometimes it's not just um, you know bipolar schizoaffective. Sometimes it's also personality disorders. Mm-hmm. So if you come up from a an upbringing where you not so great role models, not so great coping skills, so even an event like that can trigger. A suicidal um, ideation, or mm. or maybe you're feeling more depressed or anxious, and having more mood swings mm. and issues with your friends. And these um, these are events like they didn't know this person; they had no affiliation with this event whatsoever. Really, it yes. had it had nothing to do with them. Yes, but it was just in their face. Yes, yeah, that and it's in your face, like everywhere, all the time. In books, in mm-hmm. shows, mm-hmm. in our our phones. Like, how often do we ever detox from that? Mm-hmm. That's an addiction. Would you would you call that an addiction? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Do you get patients who who come to you and say like, I have a problem and it stems from my my phone? I've I've had people just sort of isolate with their phone, mm-hmm. but not just specifically that. In my, at least in my in my clientele, I'm sure it's different for each NP or for another prescriber. Mm-hmm. Maybe like somebody who deals with like more like adolescent or like teenagers. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because do do you see you don't see a lot of kids? You said no, no. I I see mostly like older teens, so like 18 and up. I don't see any mm-hmm. any kids. But is there is there any specialized training? Like if you want to be a psychiatric NP, right? Mm-hmm. And you either want to do like adults or kids or, or geriatrics. Is there additional training or is that all, all on the job training? All on the job training. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of the beauty of it though. Like you go and you can have like this like diverse career. And if you want, like, could you change? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You would just say, I think I'd like to work more with children. And then you'll go shadow with somebody or learn how to, how to better accommodate pediatrics. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so you have a lot of variety. Uh-huh. I like what I do. Yeah. If I want to like tiptoe into 
um, people with eating disorders, uh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah, with kids also. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a variety, even within psych. Do you think you'll stick with this forever? I, I love to bounce around. I love getting variety. Uh-huh. Um, and I love learning. Uh-huh. So I don't know. To be continued. Well, that's like the beauty of nursing, though. Like you said, if you want to, you can bounce around. Yeah. You know? And I don't, I know I, I've talked a lot about medications, but I also do interventional treatments, too. What is that? So it's not, it's something that's a little bit more removed from the norm. So okay. like TMS, uh, I know that we probably learned about it for like a brief section of our psych textbooks and, mm-hmm. in nursing school, but... Um, what, is, what is it? I don't know It's what like that is. transcranial magnetic stimulation. So it's kind of like a woodpecker to help with depression. And it's just for a few sessions and then you're uh-huh. done. And maybe you can get maintenance treatments, but you don't have to take a medication for it. It's been around for... How does, how does it work? Um, so what you're doing is stimulating neurotransmitters okay. that help with depression and anxiety. Okay. Our focus is for treatment-resistant depression. And by that, it, you just have to fail two meds. So people, they have a diagnosis like of clinical depression. They come for help. They try a medication. Anna, this isn't working. Yeah. Okay, we'll try another medication because everybody's a little bit different. And then, Anna, I'm still feeling really depressed. Then we try this. Then we try this, yes. Okay. So it's like deep brain. Is that like electroshock therapy? No, 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 no. Very different. Okay. Very different. Not as invasive so, but that's still used though, right? It's still used, yeah. Okay. And it's not it's not bad. It, it can be used for people who are catatonic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like TMS because it's not invasive. And people who do it, I have heard a lot of great success stories from it. So mm-hmm. um, I think the rates are 60 to 70%. That's crazy. Yeah. No medication whatsoever. No medications, yeah. Just stimulating a part of your brain so that you feel better. Yeah. I mean, that sounds good to me. Yeah. And then there's also um, Spravato, which is uh, ketamine. So people go into a room and get high. Uh-huh. Um, so instead of going to a jungle in um, Brazil or following a shaman, which would be nice, you know, in Colombia and drinking ayahuasca, uh-huh. um, you can get ketamine here in a... Um, controlled setting it's a, it's a supervised medical setting yes okay yeah and is it oral ketamine um we do iv and oral oh sorry i shouldn't say oral we do iv and we do nasal but there are oral ketamine treatments available mm-hmm. and then what happens when they when they ingest this ketamine it's it's like going on a high trip Okay. So instead of going, you know, at a rave and taking your friends' mushrooms or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. you can just do this in a controlled setting and if, with, with a clear mind, not on any other substances, mm-hmm. and hopefully get therapy with it as you go through sessions. And hopefully that helps. It usually helps with depression also. Mm-hmm. But it helps patients gain their own insight into their issues. Gotcha. Instead of through working things out with therapy. Um, alone or uh, it's just kind of yes it's kind of helping you gain your own insight into yourself mm-hmm. so it's great do you think this is this is the future yeah I do I'm okay. excited for it yeah I'm excited for it and really are you, you you sound like it like I am. You, okay like looking forward to getting away from medication and, yeah 
and dealing with like people's core core issues from like the ground up essentially yeah because i i think a lot of a lot of therapy is waiting for that aha moment where you suddenly wake up one day and you're like i get it or i know what to do to fix this and it might not be um a solution for everything Mm. but just a step like more into growth than you were in before right yeah so you you think that like you would like to see less blanket like I have this problem. Oh, here's a pill. Yeah. And then just get to like, you know, let's use some alternative therapies here. I mean, well, one it sounds like they work. 70% is a pretty good number. Yeah, it is. Um where people do they have that aha moment like I didn't know this is what what happiness felt like. Yeah, and I love I love to see it. I love to see people blossom. Yeah. Um I have a friend who went to get a similar treatment down in South America. Okay. And um, they went with a friend who suffered from substance use. Okay. And they suffered from that for several, several years. Mm -hmm. One came back a completely different, well, they both came back a completely different person. Mm -hmm. One stopped altogether. And the other one, like my friend that I knew personally, she was just, she went from being the super anxious person to just living in the moment, um, being more present. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that. And I'm like, I want to try this. Yeah. Um, and I haven't, but you know, maybe in the future. <laughs> uh, but but, he, but here, but here in a supervised medical setting, this is working. Yeah. And that would be that'd be great for more people to experience. And I know there are. My only thing that I get disheartened about is that there are a lot of barriers with insurance, mm-hmm. um, with you know traveling, uh, jobs as well. So I'm hoping that in the future it's more open. Yeah, because you to a b- lot you of as an NP you bill, so yeah. you ergo you have to deal with insurance companies. Yes, that's like my life every okay. <laughs> every week. Yeah, <laughs> is that the frustrating part of it? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Insurance dictates a lot of our lives. Yeah, it shouldn't. I know it shouldn't. It's the biggest barrier, though. And I, I, I now I understand why more uh, practices, you know, take select amount of insurances or maybe not at all, or, or just cash based. Mm-hmm. But um, it stop. It sucks to say that when you meet someone who you really think would be a great candidate for both these options, like for yeah. TMS or Spravato. They can't because of, of, of work conflicts or because right. their insurance is like, They shut them down. Yeah. And that person usually is not a medical professional for the insurance company. I know. Can you believe that? I'm and you're like, like, I know what I'm doing. You don't. <laughs> yeah. Like, pay me. <laughs> we need to do this. The person reading my notes has no idea God. what Lexapro is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, it's it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows all the time, unfortunately, you know. But that's like with anything in nursing. Like, there's good, there's bad. Yeah. Good, you get to, like, get people out of the depths of depression, build a good relationship with them. Bad, you got to deal with an insurance company once in a while. Yeah. But I agree, so, it, sh- it should not be like that. It but, shouldn't be. Yeah. But I hope that in the future, it'll be open. And I, I think that we're moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. So you're optimistic. I am. I am. I think this is only the second or third year that 
MGH held a conference on psychedelics mm-hmm. and the impacts it has on mental health. So we're only just getting started. Yeah, and once like they throw their hat in the ring, now you have like these world renowned like psychiatrists and you know people in this field who who are like saying uh, there's potential here. Yeah, um, that's got to move the needle a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I but I I also think that um, our insurance companies want patients to be a little bit over medicated instead of like facing these emotions mm-hmm. and processing them. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see, you know, more patients get get therapy and yeah. less. Doesn't it feel like left. doesn't it feel like nursing in and of itself? Like this is what really drew me to like the field. Like when I got exposed to it, I got exposed to like MD, PA, NP, RN, LPN, tech, CNA, like everything. I yeah. wanted to take it all in. And what really kind of drew me to nursing was like, I kind of felt like it was the one big profession in this whole system that its job is to take a stand against stuff like that. Like you are the frontline warrior and it is your job to keep people safe. And sometimes that includes keeping them safe from red tape. Like run, run, get it done, get in the mix, make a difference, and really shine shine a light. As cliche as that as that sound, I looked at it that like, you know what? This seems like a really good place to shine a light on some darkness. This is where I want to be. Um so I hope that people coming up for this and people who listen to this and say, Hey, maybe this is for me. Maybe I should look into this. Um, see it that way. You know? But that's that's my that's my hope that's my goal. I don't know. If I think you, I think so. Cool. I see a lot more of my college uh, acquaintances even go into this field mm-hmm. because of how much opportunity you have and you can really work anywhere. Um, I've even tried working overseas. You have? I have, yeah. Um, no way. So there's great opportunities uh, as a, a nurse in places like Dubai. I think there were a few restrictions in Ireland. Um, they were accepting of Canadian nurses, but not American nurses because of the schooling. I don't know, something like that. Okay. But yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. And including for NPs as well to do stuff like this? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So hopefully you see me somewhere overseas. I'll in the see future. you on CNN in du- Dubai, like <laughs> reporting live. Yeah, reporting live, Anna. Like, hi, hello. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Did you have fun? Um, I did. I yeah. Did, yeah. Are you happy you did this? I am. Were you nervous about doing this? I wasn't until just now, and I'm like, oh fuck, because <laughs> <laughs> you because you know you got through it. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. All right. Hope I. I answered some good questions. Hell yeah. Well, we'll be back as we always are. And stay tuned for the next uh, amazing story and the next uh, information that you're going to get about what it is and what you can do in this field. To be continued. To be continued. Until next time.